Hello, and welcome to Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast. My name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. That pause you heard is us both, like, overwhelmed by what we have to cover this episode. Because I think in the three years we've done this show, September is always the, like, gut punch month of, like, a million releases all at once. Games you, like, were excited about. Games you didn't know existed. Yeah. And then suddenly steal your heart. Like, this is when Hades came out last year. And Spelunky 2 in the same week. This year, pretty much everything, like... Stuff we had written in our calendars for months has come out and stuff we didn't know what it was has also come out and is, uh, again, still on our hearts. So, yeah, uh, there's a lot going on. This is like I I think you you said off air, like this is the first like regular episode that we have the energy of a bonus for the first time in a while. (laughs) Uh, So that's where we're at. Yeah, for honest, I'll say this much just at the top. We're talking about three games today. All three of them are like maybe my favorite games of the year. And I like can't stop playing any of them. And that's really a problem for me. But they all came out in the same week. (laughs) Like I am I really am having a hard time splitting my time between these three. It really is like any moment I have, I'm spending playing one of them. And I can't can't wait to talk about all three of them. Uh, One of them is just an update on Tales of Arise, just to be clear. Uh, And then the other two are Deathloop and Eastward. Uh, So that's that's the episode for today. And we wanted to start with Deathloop because that feels like the biggest, like most bombastic one, because I feel like you and I have been kind of cold on Deathloop for a little bit because they just like announced it really early and then kept showing it over and over and over again at like every PlayStation event and even outside of PlayStation events. And I feel like truthfully, none of the subsequent showings of that game were better than the initial reveal. Yes. Not only that, I feel like it made me less sure of what the game was. Like I had a pretty good idea of what the game was when they first announced it. And then every time they showed it again, I was like, you're adding more complexity to this thing that I thought was very simple. And now I'm kind of at a loss for what it is. And then the reviews came out and were like nines and tens across the board. Just, you know, a lot of game of the year praise and kind of became a thing that I felt obligated to check out, even though I was a little bit iffy on it. That's exactly how I felt. I I always take review scores with a grain of salt, but I think even more impressive than like the number is the enthusiasm from every review out there. Like every review is like, this is a masterpiece one of my favorite games ever. I haven't seen that level of like, like usually if a game does really well, there's like two reviews like that and one that's like, nah, it's fine. You know, like there's always like the one like, ah, seven. You know, like there was no like indifferent seven. It was all like, fuck, this rules, which is really exciting. It's exciting to see like a game come out that gets people that excited. Um, and you know, I'll be honest, I think like that first trailer really was like, I felt differently at the beginning and then at the end because at first it felt like they they were focusing like only on the gunplay and it felt like you know when you watch any event there's like eight like mountain dew like it's me and my gun in the world you know like i don't that shit sucks <laughs> but then i got way more of the tone of the game which rules and and i now confirm like yeah. rules so we'll get into that so i was like, okay this is not my genre like at all but i'm very interested and and like you said there was a little bit of fatigue at a certain point but i was rejuvenated by the the general interest in it and i now have played like uh, I don't know, I guess like four hours. I'm still pretty early on in, into it. That's kind of a wild thing. I definitely want to talk about that aspect of it, like yeah. that four hours can still be considered pretty early on because there's a lengthy tutorial in here that I, I think we need to talk about. Yeah, it's like the the like major grievance of the game, I think. I will just say like on the outset, this is by Arcane, best known recently for making Dishonored 1 and 2, along with uh, that like soft reboot kind of thing of Prey uh, and then Prey Mooncrash, which was like a roguelike, like a triple 
AAA roguelike kind of DLC edition, different game mode for Prey, uh, which I think is a really good touch point for this game in particular, because it feels like they're testing out a lot of things that are now part of Deathloop. But in a sense, Deathloop like is what you would expect from Arcane in that it is an immersive sim. You're going around like uh, sneaking around, uh, taking people out, like learning stuff, picking stuff up, reading notes, like listening to audio logs. Like you're doing all the stuff that you would do in an immersive sim by Arcane or if you've ever played like any of the Bioshock games or whatever or Deus Ex, like you're doing that stuff. The the top level of it all, though, is that it's another yet another time loop game in in which you are a character who I'm going to try and boil this down because I don't think it's very clear. You are a character who is looping through time and can remember everything that happens every time the loop happens. And you're going around this island. There are four distinct places you can go in the island and four distinct time periods that you can visit any of those places in, right? So there's morning, noon, afternoon, and night, and then the four places. And you can visit any of those four places at any of those four times. At all of those four times, those four places have different things going on, right? Because as the day is progressing, there's like a snowstorm that happens uh, in the loop, like in that day that is looping over and over again. There's a snowstorm that happens that will like cover some things, uncover other things. There are some places that are accessible, some places that aren't. Uh, Different people will be doing different things at different times. And you are tasked with taking out eight people in one loop and the whole point of the game this is like the thing that took me forever to really figure out the whole point of the game is just figuring out how am I going to take out all eight people in one day because it is very difficult like if you were to just start from the beginning of the game and say like okay well I'm going to go to this area and I'm going to take out this person okay now it's noon I'm going to go to this area I'm going to take out this person it's like oh shit I have six people to take out in two locations at two times and that's just impossible because some of them are in some places some of them are inaccessible for you know various reasons and you need to figure out ways to manipulate the environment and manipulate the world so that you can get like multiple people in the same place at the same time or multiple people just in the same area at all at the same time or figure out how to kill people off screen entirely things like that you need to like rig the world essentially to take out all of these people and it is fucking good. It's really good. I I thought I was going to be very cold on this game for a long time because I am not a person who really liked Dishonored that much. I, I appreciated a lot of the world building, but found the like stealth gameplay to almost reward save scumming over like anything else, which I don't think is fun. That's that's my like big issue with most stealth games is like I don't find it fun sneaking through an entire level and then in the last like, you know, 13% of the level I get caught and then have to start the whole thing over like that sucks and the only way you can get around that is by constantly fucking saving and reloading your save and that's also not fun because that that to me doesn't feel like good game design you know that feels yeah. like I'm breaking the game I'm like not doing what it wants on top of that Dishonored would also punish you for killing a lot of people so you like needed to just do stealth all the time they were like oh you can go loud you know you have all these cool superpowers and you can go loud but if you go loud, you get the bad ending, which like that that's not fun either. Right. So like it's not really letting me play the way I want. I'm also breaking the game by saving and reloading all the time. And that's my issue with like the stealth genre. Like most stealth games feel that way. I think weirdly enough, one of the best like not not to give this you know uh, company a boost, but like one of the one of the best examples of like breaking that convention to me is like the recent Assassin's Creed thing where they focus so much on combat. That it's like when things go wrong and they always do in every stealth game, like there is pretty good combat that you can fall back on. And like 
yes, you are an assassin. You can take on 10 people when they come at you in a camp that you fucked up. Um, <laughs> so there's that side of it. There's also Prey, which I think is another good thing to pull from, which was like a really in-depth, like narrative-focused, immersive sim. You're going around this place. I I don't want to say a whole lot because I don't want to spoil it, but like the environment is very interesting and there is... <laughs> It's really hard to talk about, actually. Yeah. I, maybe I just won't. But point being, I found Prey to be more complex than I wanted it to be. Like, it, it was really serving, like, a very, very, very hardcore immersive sim audience, of which I learned I am not. Uh, I am not part of that audience. As much as I wanted to like that game, and I appreciate the art design and a lot of the systems at play there, like, I just could not get into it. And all of that context led me into Deathloop, where it seemed like... They were solving a lot of the problems I had with previous games. And I think the most brilliant fucking thing about Deathloop is that they have removed this consequence for taking people out. They have improved the gunplay to the point that it is like fun to run around and go loud if you want to. And on top of all of that, if things go wrong and you die and have to start the loop over, it's not that bad. It's like it's actually, you know, taking the best thing about roguelikes, which is like if you die and you have to start over, like it's totally fine. It doesn't feel like a punishment. It just feels like you get to start over and try again. It's it's really, really, really smart. And I think the thing (laughs) the thing about this game where it goes very wrong is like the first three hours of it are a very bad tutorial. Yeah. Like, yeah, I just I don't think it flows well. I think it's like a UI nightmare that only gets good when you've like learned to master it. You know, it doesn't feel like it's in service of me. It feels like I need to learn how the how the menus work. It reminds me like weirdly enough. I don't know if you feel this way. I don't know if you have like played a lot of this kind of stuff, but it feels a lot like a free to play like gotcha mobile game where like when you start (laughs) the game, it keeps like saying, press this button to do this. Now press this button to do this. Now press this button to do this. Now press this button to do this. And now you know how to play the game. It's like, no, actually, you didn't yeah. give me any choice. Showing me a text box and having me read it doesn't mean I've learned how that thing works, which right. I think is like the biggest sin of these tutorials is like they show you a text box and they're like, cool, you've learned that mechanics. Like, I have not at all. Yeah, <laughs> I have not learned it. I'm going to need to figure it out for myself. All you've done is like forced me down this rabbit hole that doesn't feel fun. And it takes a long time to find the fun in this game. But when you do, dear listener, it is amazing. <laughs> Yeah, this game is really good. Yeah, I I pretty much agree with all of that. I think the the obvious comparison for me in terms of the tutorials is Monster Hunter Rise, where like yeah, the unforgivable sin is like stopping the action constantly, being like you have a machete, you can use the machete by pushing R one. If you push triangle, you can pull out your hack. Like I don't stop. Just let me play. Yeah, <laughs> like because yeah. it's also so antithetical to the game itself, where like you're so immediately immersed and like. Honestly, I feel like this game could have even been more simple. I think it would have paid off. I think that like the amount of tools you have and the amount of like things you can do while they all have a cool purpose. I almost wish like give me a machete and like let me like rely on throwing a bottle to distract someone for like, you know, the beginning. Like don't give me like dash powers and be like you can use this currency to like keep the dash power and then upgrade a trinket. And like I don't need like a destiny tier loot (laughs) equipment screen. I just want to like 
figure it out on my own intuitively. I haven't thrown a bottle since they taught me how to throw bottles, <laughs> just to be clear. Like right. that first moment in the tutorial where like you can pick up a bottle and throw it to distract the enemy. That is not a thing that you'll probably ever do again. I mean, yeah. you can, but you don't need to. The, the thing about the game is like, I, I almost wish it was uninterrupted. I feel like there's a, and there would be a different game, but I feel like the, you do a mission, you go back to the screen and like you see like all these menus of like all these documents and stuff. Like I feel like there's a little bit of a despair between what cult is figuring out and what I have internalized as a player. So like, Mm -hmm. I feel like sometimes the game is being like, oh, now you know this. I'm like, I actually don't know anything yet. I'm just sort of (laughs) going along for the ride. And it's good that they like, have those sort of like rails for for you to not feel like overwhelmed by stuff, but it's a little bit confusing, honestly. Like I still don't really understand a lot of the menus, but the actual moment to moment like game and like figuring out how you want to navigate a scenario is so fun. And honestly, the thing that really makes this game as good as it is, is just the world building and the characters and the tone of it is very lighthearted in a way that I think really, really helps. Because I think that there's like a version of this game that could be like kind of taxing where like, you know, again, this is not my go to genre. I don't have a problem with like violent video games, but there's, you know, intention and execution. There's a lot of stabbing people through the chest and then twisting the knife, which like could be a lot. But because everyone is like basically a mannequin, like they all have masks on and they're all like goofy and like saying silly stuff. And uh, the main character is like immediately really likable. And there's a lot of fun, like kind of ambient dialogue and narrative with him where like the moment that really got me where I realized I loved the game was when you first sneak up on someone and you kill them with a machete. And Cole's like, yeah. And he's like, oh, I've done this before, haven't I? And all the text just goes, yes, yes, yes. Like all around you, there's like memento text that kind of like appears every now and then that gives you hints that I really like. And that's the thing. It's like that text is actually almost all the tutorial I need. It doesn't stop the game. It gives me enough of like a direction to have that text and then also have like. I'm like mid swing with the machete and it's like, you could push the touchpad and look at your documents if you want. Like not now. I don't want to look at documents maybe ever, but not now. (laughs) I think that like, again, it all works eventually, but it is like a lot thrown at you all at once and it could have been done better. But I think like even during it, like even in the midst of the like worst part of the tutorial, I I had confidence that they were like building up to something great. I'm like, this is going to pay off. I can already feel it. And I, I think that like, no, Knowing that's like, okay, the ultimate goal is like do it all in one day. Because at first I'm like, do they want me to just like individually kill all the visionaries? Because the the idea is that if all the visionaries die, you break the loop. And there are people in the game that want to keep the loop going. And that's actually kind of, I think, a I, I've seen that before in other loop narrative games. Which weirdly, there are a lot this year. <laughs> um, but uh, I think that the focus on like this group of people who like have very uh, seemingly, at least at this point in the story, seemingly very simple motivation like oh yeah just cool like we can live the same day forever we can party yeah we can kill each other it doesn't matter like why not <laughs> and it's it's not even quite clear why cult wants to break the loop he remembers every loop but he also has seemingly forgotten a lot so yeah. like my hunch is like he's gone through this for so long that he's starting to remember you know like mm-hmm. it's like that's like the the residual effect but yeah I, I think the other thing too is like i don't i don't know if i'm crazy about the roguelite elements of it the idea of like 
losing your equipment, but you could use like residium to keep some equipment. And then there's like tier levels of equipment. Like I don't really feel the need to get like the best guns because I think that the strength of the game is like just figuring out how to use the environment. Like I am at my best when I hack a turret and just place it in a room and like wait and like look at the ocean. Totally. And then I go inside <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I guess I already killed the visionary. Cool. Yeah. So like, you know, and that's the appeal of a game like this. Is there's so many different scenarios. In the beginning, I was just running around with a machete, like not even sneaking at all. And I was doing great. Yeah. And again, that's, I think, like a good stealth game. I think Horizon Zero Dawn did the same thing where when you get caught, like when your scheme doesn't work the game is still fun. You don't fail. It's it's just now a different, yes. you have to roll with it now. Which again, to be clear, this is, that's a big departure, at least for me, from like most stealth games, but yeah. specifically Dishonored 1 and 2, uh, which I really appreciate. I'm at the point now where I'm like building what I think is the loop that's going to like be it for me. Like I'm almost done with the game somehow in just a few days. As far as I can tell, I think I have a couple loose ends I need to tie up and figure out how to get some people into some places. I don't want to say a lot, but that said, a lot of the complexity of the game that I was bouncing off of very early on is now clicking into place for me in the way I really hoped it would. Like a lot of this game, I feel is like for about two to three hours, trusting that it's going to like all Makes sense. And you can actually, I posted a video on our YouTube of my first like hour ish playing the game. And you can feel a lot of the hesitation in that video. Like I really was like, I don't think this is working for me. I like some of the things at play here. I think the characterization is really great. I think the world is really great and very interesting. There's clearly a lot of like impeccable level design happening here. But overall, I didn't feel like it was for me. And like it really does all click into place if you trust it specifically the the like residium and infusion thing which just to explain very quickly the tutorial goes for about three hours and ends with you taking out a visionary who has figured out a way to bring things between loops essentially so when you take that visionary out you get that ability uh and that means that every time you finish a loop or you die or whatever whatever you're holding on to will go away in the loop unless you infuse it with a currency that you have to find called Residium. And that is essentially your tool for like powering up at the pace that the game wants you to power up, which I think is very important because I didn't realize this until recently. But as you continue to take visionaries out, like if you're going through a loop and you start the morning in one place and you take out one or two visionaries at noon, the game will be harder than if you had taken out nobody in the earliest phase. So the game actually gets harder the more visionaries you take out throughout the day, which means that like that final evening where you're taking out like one, two, three, like a couple, uh, if you can get them all in the same place or whatever, is really fucking difficult because all of the enemies around that environment have like completely maxed out gear. Uh, It's like brutally hard it gets it's actually really interesting because i find that the game kind of has this ebb and flow where it starts off with you being very sneaky right like kind of just like making your way around trying to not get caught a whole lot uh because you know you don't know where people are you don't really know the environments that well like you need to play it really slow and safe to kind of like learn anything early on and then you get really powerful because you have all these superpowers and all these great guns and stuff and you're like why sneak ever again doesn't matter at all like i could just run into a room take all these people out you're still learning things and that's that's the important part is like you're not at the point where you're taking out visionary after visionary after visionary in one loop you're just still trying to learn how to take each visionary out or like see if you can maneuver through the world to like get them into the same place or whatever but then the game cycles back to stealth again because when you start taking out all the visionaries in one loop 
the game gets so fucking hard that like if you go loud at all, you're completely fucked. <laughs> like you're yeah. completely ruined. Specifically, like I, I don't think this is a spoiler, but at the at the evening phase, there's one area where there's like a party that you can go to. And one of the visionaries is throwing this party. And if you go and try and take out that visionary and you've already taken out a bunch earlier in the day, every party goer and there are a lot of them. Every party goer has like four or five of the max upgrades on their very good gun. So if you alert anyone and they see you at all and everyone converges on you, like you are not escaping. You are not surviving, yeah. um, which I think is really fun. I think that's a really interesting kind of arc for the game to kind of begin where uh, sorry to end where you began in terms of like needing to be sneaky, even though you've built yourself up. There's a whole other aspect of this game that we haven't really talked about, which is that one of the visionaries is named Juliana, who is also aware of all the loops that are happening and is also constantly hunting you. And at any point throughout your day can just show up in your world and try and take you out. Like you'll start a segment in one area at a specific time of day and a big thing will show up on screen. It's like Juliana's on the hunt. Uh, And what that means is that Juliana is now in your world. There is a thing. There's like an antenna in place that is jamming the door that will allow you to leave. So you need to sneak to one specific area to turn that antenna off so you can escape if you want to. But on top of that, sometimes, usually, if you're playing online, Juliana is being inhabited by a real person. So there's a whole other half of this game where you can play as Juliana and just invade people's worlds as they're like trying to progress in the single player and that dynamic is so fucking cool yeah it's really i think the most brilliant thing honestly of all because when i first heard that that was going to be the case i was like i don't know how good that's going to feel like i feel like that's going to maybe get annoying or like i i wasn't really sure how i felt about it also it's like these levels are really big there's a lot of like small hallways and crevices that you can hide in it's like really intricate the brilliant thing about it is that antenna the fact that you need to go every time to the same spot each of the four areas has one antenna that is like the jamming antenna and you'll eventually just learn where those places are it means that it forces Colt and Juliana into the same place every time like if like you have an objective that is in the same place so as Juliana you spawn at that antenna and it allows you to just like hang out there you could like build up your defenses um you can you know scout the place you can place traps you can do whatever you want and just sit there and like wait for Colt to show up because he has to if he wants to leave alternatively if Colt shows up and does hack the antenna you also know where the exits are as Juliana so you can then just hang out by the exit so there are two there's like a point of failure and if that doesn't work out for you you have a fallback and it forces Colt and Juliana in the same place it makes it very I don't know it just feels very streamlined in a way that I wasn't expecting yeah I will say I've played as Juliana a bunch. I find that to be the weaker part of the game. It is fun, I think, to be invaded as cult. I think it's a little bit less fun to invade as Juliana at the moment for a couple specific reasons. Like, first of all, when you first start playing as Juliana, your equipment is not very good. Cult has the ability to die three times per loop. And that means that you have to kill Colt three times. So he'll like die, come back. You have to kill him again and then he'll come back again. And then you have to kill him a third time. And then that is like, okay, cool. I killed Colt. Colt only has to kill Juliana one time to continue making his way through the level, which makes sense from the perspective of like, this is a a largely single player game and you don't want to impede the person trying to just fucking progress that much. But it does make it that playing as Juliana feels like wildly difficult for no reason. Sometimes I imagine as you continue to upgrade your equipment, that probably becomes easier as you get more of the superpowers and whatever. But what you start out with is like not very helpful. Um, I have found at least. 
One really good advantage, though, you have as Juliana is you can disguise yourself as other enemies. So, like, yeah. you know, that that can help you kind of catch Cult off guard. But, you know, it's not on the same level as playing as Cult. That, that's, like, the core game. Mm-hmm. But I think I think it's a cool idea. I think it kind of feels like when you invade someone in, like, Bloodborne a little bit. Yeah, where totally. like <laughs> You know, it's just like, okay, I'm doing this, I guess. But, uh, yeah, I imagine as you as you level up, it could be cool. But um, I think it just, I think it weirdly just makes the single player richer weirdly enough like i think that like i agree like you said yeah. like fighting juliana as cult is always like a a, a scary moment cause, oh shit there's like a human player now uh who's, who's <laughs> yeah. trying to mess me up yeah um, who may even know the game better than i do yes that is always my fear that's why i keep trying to play as juliana now when everybody's just getting the game <laughs> right <laughs> so i can it's like okay great like maybe i have a shot because i know the game a little bit better than they do early on hopefully fingers crossed um i have found that i i do not do very well as juliana generally though <laughs> but that that's sort of the vibe like their uh call and juliana's relationship in the game is interesting because like she seems to be more of like a rival than like an enemy at least i mean she does kill you a lot but there's something yeah. there's something going on where i feel like i mean I, I think that their relationship has a lot of different like angles to it uh, there's a lot of stuff that's implied that i'm sure we'll learn more later um and this stuff that we learn directly through the course of the game but uh it is funny like where the loop i think works is like cult always comments on like what he knows or what he's gotten mm-hmm. and juliana is like cool like i figured that out like three weeks ago like, <laughs> over it um like i like i like that that banter a lot yeah. and it's interesting juliana talks to you through the speaker on the controller which is fine it doesn't really like add a lot i, I don't know if they like, needed to do that i turned that off pretty much immediately uh oh, do you? I, so yeah the, the other thing about this game that i i really like just from i, I think a audio perspective i guess is that it makes you so it really does make use of all the dual sense stuff yeah you know, this totally. is a like ps5 exclusive i mean it's also on pc but as far as consoles go it's a ps5 exclusive is made for ps5 um this was before microsoft bought bethesda so like you know kind of a weird thing there i imagine it'll be on xbox on game pass like next year or something but yeah. anyway it was made for ps5 and because of that it's making use of all of the stuff that the ps5 has to offer specifically the dual sense you know there's a lot of really interesting shit happening just with like the uh the trigger buttons and how they react to different weapons and things like that uh when your gun jams like you can feel it but on top of that it makes great use of the 3D audio if you plug headphones in, which is why I had to turn the speaker thing off was like, OK, I'm wearing like big, beefy headphones so I can make use of the 3D audio thing. And the voice coming out of the controller is like almost imperceptible to me if I'm wearing the <laughs> headphones. Right. So I just needed to turn that off. Um, yeah, it was it was like a fun novelty at first. But, you know, to actually make use of the rest of what the game has to offer from an audio perspective, I was like, I need to I need to turn that off. I also love the decision to make the music. Music. like the music changes whenever you're caught essentially and yeah. like when you're good it like plays out very organically which like mm-hmm. that's something that you see in other games but it really works here because again the the tone and the vibe of it are very like almost like a heist movie or like a spy movie so like yeah. every area has like a really fun like musical theme and yeah. uh it feels like 60s know. 70s era james bond yes yes from a musical perspective, both in the like sneaky moments and in the like high octane action moments. Uh, oh, yeah. That is very much what they're pulling from, from an audio perspective. Uh, and it really, really, really works. I, I mean, just like world building across the board, I think is really great. I wouldn't be surprised personally if this started as a Dishonored game. I think like that's most evident in uh, the ability to shift 
which is pretty much just the blink ability from Dishonored, which allows you to just like point in a place and then press a button and then you teleport to that place. You know, you can only do it a certain amount of times. But like even even the UI of this game looks exactly like the UI of Dishonored. Like it has kind of the angled health bar and then the angled like mana bar, which in this case is just your like how much power do you have to use your superpowers? Looks exactly the same. But a lot of the world even looks a little bit like the world of Dishonored as well. It's just it had it's like, you know, coded in this kind of like 1960s, 1970s, uh, like James Bond poster aesthetic, which is really really cool it's yeah, really yeah. good i could talk about this game for a really long time um is the thing and i i feel like i need to stop myself at a certain point i will just say that i i really appreciate once you get through all the tutorialization and the game is like okay now you just need to figure out how to kill all the visionaries in one loop the act of actually figuring out how to do that is wildly rewarding i i have found that experience to be like one of the best video game experiences i've had this year easily just like finding out why all the visionaries are on the island uh what they all you know why they all want the loop to continue is really fascinating the relationships that the visionaries have between one another they have this like computer system that allows them to essentially like dm one another and you can read those dms and they're all so fucking funny they're great yeah Like the guy who is throwing the party that I was alluding to before is like desperate for the other visionaries to show up to the party, even though there's like a mandate in effect that says no two visionaries can be in the same place at the same time because if they all die, the loop ends. So like, obviously, you want to keep them separated. And this dude is like, no, it's our first night here. Like, of course, we should all hang out and like have this like big fucking rager Um, and just like seeing his invitations to everybody else to the party. Just be like, no, dude that's the worst idea anyone has ever had uh you know because they're they're all geniuses and he's just like a rich guy uh is great it's like it's really 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 wonderful just how well they've built out all these characters individually i I find them all to be extremely believable in that they all suck in like completely different ways (laughs) yeah and it really makes you want to take them out too yeah yeah, Uh, because they're all like not great people who are chasing immortality uh, like most not great people do. Yeah, I I feel like I'm right on the cusp of like where that journey begins in terms of like organically putting the pieces together. So I feel like my like perspective on the game right now is like a little bit underbaked because I haven't like yeah. gone to really experience that yet. Um, I do think all the all the critiques we had of like the beginning still apply, but I'm really excited to get there because I'm already having a great time. It's also worth stressing like. This is not really my type of game like at all. And I'm having a great time. I think it's really fun, but I just feel like it's it's uh, it's interesting to, you know, in doing this show, check out stuff that is like in genres I don't normally like gravitate towards and, and being really impressed by by games I probably wouldn't have gotten otherwise. Yeah. Again. Very much not for me, really, either. I don't really have a great history with the immersive sim genre for the most part uh, outside of Bioshock, which like I think everybody liked Bioshock. And I feel like similarly, this is just kind of one of those like top tier, like they just fucking nailed it on kind of every level. Yeah. You know, if you picked this game up or you're thinking about picking this game up and you start playing it and you're like, uh, this isn't really clicking for me. Like, r- like really get to that point when they give you the ability to infuse stuff and then they kind of take the reins off and you get to just play the game because they're I mean, it's so much railroading too in in that first bit. Like they're really forcing you down one path and it gets into that thing that you were talking about earlier, which like 
you go into an area, you pick up a thing and then you go to the exit and then there's another loading screen. And then you're back at a menu. And like that happens over and over and over again for like hours. Yeah, it's very bizarre. It's, yeah. it's so the opposite of what the rest of the game feels like. It's really strange. But once you get past all of that and the game opens up, it is wildly rewarding, um, especially at the point where I'm at now where like I feel very good about my loadout. I feel very good about like the weapons that I have and infused and like the, the upgrades I have for those weapons and those powers. And like I'm just making my way downtown walking fast you know uh, <laughs> I, I felt that uh, coming on the horizon <laughs> it's, that happens on the third day in the afternoon <laughs> <laughs> I like I have a couple more gripes that are like so in the weeds but like just one for example is um like shift the ability to blink and teleport feels so integral to the way you need to play the game that I, I don't know why it's a thing you have to equip so just I guess on, on a top level you have three gear slots for three weapons that you can bring with you. You have two slots for your superpowers, essentially. And one of those like has to be shift. And I think that that's a weird failing of the game in a weird way is like, I don't know how I would play this game without shift equipped because the world feels built to have me teleport all over the place. Yeah. Um, I think the further in the game people get the more they realize that shift is like necessary. And I actually think there are a couple instances in which shift actually like really for real is necessary. Um, there's one huh. bit in particular that I'm thinking of where like you have to have shift equipped to be able to do a certain thing that I think you need to do to break the loop. And I guess there's a world in which loading into that area at that specific time, knowing that that's the thing you need to do, you would equip shift just for that. And I, that's probably where they were coming from is like, okay, all of these superpowers have like specific niche needs and, uh, you know, different things that you'll want to use different powers for uh, to accomplish. But shift is just like an all arounder. Like it really is like a thing that I feel like you have to have. And, and it's strange that that's the thing that is constantly equipped instead of the other thing that is constantly equipped, which is Colt's ability to die twice and then come back. Like I would actually rather turn that off entirely and have shift at all times because I feel like, pretty confident in how I'm making my way through the levels at this point that I don't like I'm not usually dying at all uh, unless I really fuck up how do you retain superpowers so I had shift for five minutes and then lost it forever okay so that's where the infusion <laughs> comes in oh you have to infuse superpowers yes when you kill the visionaries you go back into the hideout and then it'll show you like all your loadout and the things that you have there's a little icon on each piece of gear that will go away if you die, like if if the loop happens uh, and that's what you have to infuse. So what's really wild, I didn't realize this until later, but you can continue to pick up the same superpower. They're called slabs. You can continue to pick up the same slab over and over again. It actually upgrades the slab and adds new abilities onto oh, the slab. Cool. And those things you also have to infuse. So shift at this point for me is the only stuff I'll spoil, I, I guess, from like a power perspective. But shift for me at this point allows me to reach much further and much higher than usual uh, or than you can when you first get it. And also if I'm in midair and I press the shift button, I hang in midair until I decide where to shift. Oh, cool. Which is like that plus the range ability is like huge. God, I have nothing. I, Mike, I'm thinking about like, you're telling me this and I'm like, I have like a stick yeah. and like a radio. Yes, <laughs> this is, that's, that's, I think the, beauty of the game is like as you make your way through the vision most of the visionaries have a slab on them that has like a specific power i don't really want to spoil any of the other ones but like except one is called aether i'll just say that much um, oh as you make your way around the world and like continue to pick up these slabs and continue to upgrade them over and over and over again like 
that's just going to happen kind of because you're trying to learn the game, which I think is really nice. Like, yeah, for one, the the guy who has shift, for example, like I wanted to take him out a couple times so I could like learn the process of taking him out in like the cleanest way possible. And because of that, I got all of the upgrades for shift, uh, which is really great. But also another like weird balance thing. And this is just me. And I know it's just me. But like I found a weapon pretty early on that is so clearly the best weapon in the whole game that I have never unequipped it. I have fully maxed it out. I barely use anything else. It is it's like this little uh, submachine gun that has wild range and is silenced. So I just walk around the world and I hide behind a thing and I just pick, I just get headshots and nobody is ever alerted to my presence at any point. It feels the nail gun. No, it's not the nail gun. The nail gun is great. This essentially makes the nail gun obsolete was my problem. It was, was like, I loved the nail gun. And then I found this thing. I was like, Oh my God, this is the nail gun with 300 bullets. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And I don't have to charge it or anything. It just is great. Um, It's, it's a really, it's a really good weapon. So I I can get shift again is, what my what my moment of horror was i can find that power again yes okay good there are there are other things here and there that like i had some issues with like for for one i had a full loadout right so i had three weapons that i loved and had infused i had two superpowers i loved and infused and i went and took out a visionary that i'd never taken out before and i had i had to lose one of my powers i had to i had to swap out one of the powers that i had infused to pick up this new one and that meant that i lost that infused slab Like I had to go kill that visionary again and get that thing, which is like not that wasn't fun. Like those instances, like I had, um, man, there's so much to talk about. Maybe I should just like sit back and stop for now. (laughs) Maybe we should move on. We have so much to talk about. I knew this existed, but I honestly still didn't fully understand how to do any of this. So like, yeah, I was really just showing up and dying with like a radio. That's like basically it. That's again like that. You have three hours of tutorial and when it's over, you still don't know what the game is. And like yeah. that, that is like, that's not cool. You know, yeah. that it doesn't feel like a waste of time because the characters are so good. Right. And the absolutely. writing is so great yeah. and the performances are like impeccable. But man, there's something lost in translation yeah. in, in, in that tutorial. It's like, cool, I have a machete and I know that like Eric likes to go outside. Like what? That doesn't mean anything. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? <laughs> Yeah, oh, sick, I also dude. keep like coming across. Li- they're called leads. Whenever you find like a new piece of information, I keep coming across leads that are like, oh, great. You found the code for this safe. Like, I don't I never seen that safe. I don't know what yeah. that safe is. Yeah. Cult is like, great, great. Now I can go unlock that safe. It's like I have no fucking clue where that is or what that is or what's inside or why I want this code. I just happened upon it. Yeah. Again, I'm sure it'll all pay off, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It does. It does all pay. Like, it's already all paid off for me. Like, I'm yeah. getting so close to the end of the game that I, I'm holding a lot back in my love for this because, like, so much of it is specific to the ways in which you take people out and some of the things that happen with some of the visionaries. But uh, it re- it really all does pay off. Like, the game is as good as everybody said it was. Um, and I, I'm surprised to see that based on how I felt pretty early on. I'm thinking about streaming this game again, like maybe even today when we're done recording later. That's like, here's the end of the game because I feel like I'm close to it. Like I might just stream until it's done. But uh, hey, if you're listening to this, uh, that'll have already happened probably. But uh, suffice to say, this is like easily one of the best games I played this year. And I'm very surprised to say that because I kind of like Tales of Arise in a way, like was kind of ignoring it 
um, until some reviews happened. So how long would you say it took you to get to where you are now? Like, you know, in terms of like game length, a long, I've played so much. I've been (laughs) up very late. (laughs) I I don't mean to shame you. I just, yeah, I can't put the game down. I don't know how long it's been. Like, I truly don't. It feels like I've just dumped a fuckload of time into it. And I like, don't know how long I've spent. I get that. Um, Yeah. I mean, I beat persona five in two weeks when it came out. So like, there's no judgment on this end. Yeah. I, I have a feeling just to go back to the Juliana aspect of the game. Like I have a feeling that like when you're done playing the game, Juliana becomes like the thing you do. Yeah. You know, that makes sense. Like, like it, just, it just feels like that's the case. Um, Like it's there for post game. Really? I've also seen I saw a warning online that was like, don't play as Juliana until you finish the game because you can overhear the conversations that Colt and uh, Juliana have. So if the person you're invading is like far into the game you might hear some stuff that'll like spoil the game oh, for you interesting yeah uh, if you invade as juliana so i guess just a heads up there i haven't run into that thankfully in the few times i played as juliana but i only did it a couple times and i bailed because i was yeah. like i i just want to break the loop first i did it twice the second time was a lot of fun the first time cult like never showed up so i was just like hanging out for like maybe like a half hour that's my big issue with it is like you just sit there at the antenna for so long like waiting for cult to show up i actually did wait like a good 40 minutes and i was like just doing stuff on my phone until i heard gunfire um, yeah because like cult was like probably out killing a visionary or like doing something else you know yeah, yeah, like, yeah. they have an objective when they show up there it's only when they need to leave that they really need to take out the antenna whenever i play as cult and a juliana invades me the first thing i do is i go for the antenna because i'm like i don't want to drag this out i don't want this person to like just sit there <laughs> on their phone like i did I'm like almost doing it for them. I'm just like, I'll put myself in harm's way. Like, (laughs) out of courtesy. That's so funny. Yeah. But yeah, it's a good time. Deathloop, baby. It's available for the PlayStation 5. If you're cool with waiting, I'm sure it's going to be on Xbox eventually. But for now, it's on PS5 and PC. Yeah. And it looks great. Also lives up to the hype, baby. Yeah, it really does. All right. You want to take a break and come back and talk about Eastward? Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, I do. (laughs) See you soon. Goodbye. Bye. Brendan, we're back, and uh, I want to talk about another, yet another video game with you. Is that okay? Um, yeah. Thank you for asking, though. <laughs> I love the the theory that like I never asked you if you wanted to do this show. You just kind of obligated. <laughs> it just like, happened. Yeah. Out of obligation. Yeah. It's like, oh wait, actually, I guess I'll keep going. Yeah. Uh, we're talking about Eastward, a game that just came out, published by Chucklefish, developed by uh, Pixbull. I think it's their first game. Mm. Uh, developers from Shanghai. And it's a game that I think was the last announcement at I think the most recent like indie Nintendo Direct. Yeah, I think you're right. I remember getting a text from my friend Eric being like, this is so your shit. Every now and then a friend will just call the shot so early. We're like, yeah. Eric got that one. And then um, I think someone in the Discord when the Tales of Arise trailer came out, they're like, Steven's going to love this. Uh, just like immediately but anyway uh really cool trailer definitely like a vibe trailer but not like a i know what this game is trailer you know but like just really really cool uh animation and art style and then the game came out and i i didn't really look up any reviews it just sort of was like i'm i'm fine taking a chance on this you know Mm -hmm. like i i don't mind going and kind of blind and uh it's it's incredible. It's a really, really special game uh, that immediately means a lot to me that I'm excited to talk about on my video game podcast. <laughs> what is this? <laughs> I don't know. It's honestly, this game is maybe the first game this year that has like 
been so uh, gripping narratively. It has like negatively affected my mental health, like mm. in, a, in a way where like, I think it's worth knowing this ahead of time. This game is extremely heavy and pretty dark. Like, I think that like it's it's foreshadowed enough when you're playing it. But if you just looked at the art style and you're like, yeah, this looks fun. Like kind of know what you're getting into ahead of time just to yeah. make sure like you're in an OK place because there's, there's plenty of joy to be found in the game. It's not it's not like incredibly dour, but it definitely goes places that I think you should be prepared for. But all that to say, uh, the game itself is very much like a amalgamation. It's one of those games where like you could tell what the influences are and they wear them on their sleeve, which honestly it's not something I dislike, but it's something that I was unsure of in the very beginning because this game opens and it is very, very, very much like Mother 3 to the yeah. point where I almost rolled my eyes. Like the main character is this gruff dude who has his eyes eclipsed by a shadow who the town relies on. I'm like, cool, it's Flint. Sick. Yeah, right. Uh, you know, everyone sort of talks like they're from Earthbound or from like the Mother series, really smitten by the music and by the like just the visuals of the game and the animation and honestly at the very least i was like if this is just like a mother homage with like incredible animation like that's enough you know like that's enough for me to at least like it absolutely yeah what i will say without spoiling is that it very much becomes its own thing pretty quickly that hesitation of mine was washed away especially when the game begins and it's largely like a real-time zelda-esque game uh i was so prepared for it to be turn-based that like i actually got hit by like a a crab when i realized like oh i should be swinging my frying pan in real time I think without spoiling, this game thematically is very focused on the idea of preservation and memory. And what is kind of crystallized for me is that these retro influences are not there in like a Ready Player One nostalgia fest way, yes, yes, but they're yes. there to incite in the player an emotion of like, why, why do we feel nostalgic? Why do we hang on to the past in this way? Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? And and I think that that has really come together in a like emotional gut punch for me. Mm. The, the game is brilliant. It's really like maybe a masterpiece. Like I have to finish the thing before I can say that. But like it's feeling like it's building up to being one. And uh, I, I I'm loving it. I'll get more into detail, but I want to I want to hear how you feel so far. I like it, too. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I I picked it up. Um I just like I was planning on playing this next week was my original thought because like Tales of Rise and Deathloop have been like really all I've been doing. Yeah. But I realized I had enough uh, Nintendo eShop gold points to uh, just get this game. So I was like, okay, cool. Why not? I'll just pick it up now. I'm going away for a couple of days. So I was like, oh, I'll bring my Switch with me. And, you know, before bed or something, I can start eSport and see how it is. But uh, anyway, I started playing it <laughs> anyway, just because I picked it up and uh, pretty quickly texted you and was like I, f- I i said almost those exact words i was like i feel like i'm playing a masterpiece i like just haven't hit that yet like i haven't hit the point where i can say that definitively but it feels like it's all there like i i don't know if there's anything in this game that i think like feels uh superfluous or unnecessary i don't really have any gripes or anything to comment on even the stuff that you're talking about like early on when it feels a lot like mother and like obviously john is flint and etc cetera, etc cetera, i was like the game is so considered and is so 
specific about the way it's doing everything that I feel like it's not just pulling from this stuff, but it's in conversation with this stuff. And as you said, like yeah. that becomes more evident the further in you get. Yeah. It just felt even early on, like I was playing something like really, 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 really special. And I want to be clear, like I haven't played enough of it, I think, to really have a fully formed opinion. But the stuff that I have played has been spectacular. Uh, just for context, I'm at the beginning of chapter two. Um, so I have I have seen some stuff <laughs> in which the game sh- shifts, changes pretty dramatically. Um, and that that has been uh, a pretty shocking thing. And I'm enjoying it. I'm trying to be very vague. Anyway, higher level. I think all of these characters are really great. I think it is. Oh, yeah. I think it is doing what Mother did without as much of the irreverence and direct humor. I think a lot of what Mother was doing was um, asking questions about like what it meant to be a sequel and a video game and things like that, um, you know, on top of a lot of the other stuff it was doing. Um, And while Mother was dark, this game manages to just kind of like one up that in a way or one down that. I don't know how you want to put that, but in, in a sense... I find that this game, like I would not recommend this game to the same people I would recommend Mother 2. It feels like a sequel to Mother 3 for people who played Mother 3 when they were younger in a way and have now grown up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's, I think Mother 3, a lot of moments feel like they're from a child's perspective, like how a child would deal with grief and all these heavy things. This feels like very much... Like, even though you control uh, John, who is sort of the protagonist, silent, gruff man, he's also much better paternal figure than Flint. I'll say that much. A yeah, uh, much kinder man. Yeah. Love John. And Sam, who is sort of his, like, adopted daughter. They're not related, but they very much have, like, a father-daughter relationship. Yeah. And Sam is is more vocal, and she's, like, sort of like a bright spot amidst darkness, at least, you know, in the early in the early hours of the game. Yeah. Um, Pretty literally. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that like, I would say it's largely from John's perspective. So like you're getting the adult's point of view often. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think, you know, I think that this game references Earthbound the same way Yakuza Like a Dragon references Dragon Quest, where it's mm-hmm. like the lens in which the life and reality of the game is being filtered through. Like the story of Ichiban is, you know, Yakuza's story. There's there's revenge. There's like, you know, all this stuff going on. But he sees himself like as a hero in one of those games. And it kind of brings about this like chaotic quality to his character. And this one, I think that like the comfort of nostalgia and the yearning of the past and like hanging on to that. And, and again, the sort of good and bad side of that, because the state of the world, it's worth noting, like the game opens. We're not going to spoil, but this is just, you know, setting stuff. The game opens. Everyone lives underground in this like charming but sort of sad town uh, where like everyone just sort of like digs for valuables. They eat pot crabs, which are like crabs that have crawled into garbage. And uh, everyone is sort of taught that the surface is a horrible place and you shouldn't want to go there. And if anyone even like talks about it, they're sort of ostracized by the society. Yeah. Uh, Miyazaki lives there, which is interesting. He's just straight like, up there. Hayao Miyazaki. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's just a guy. Yeah. Uh, uh, which is, which is fun. That, and that was like, 
when I had those moments of like, is this going to be again, like just the nostalgia, like fest with no other thought behind it. Like when I saw him, I'm like, okay, we get it. Like, you know, but it, again, it works once I knew more about what the game was going for. But uh, Sam is someone who like believes that the surface is real and not only is real, but is beautiful. And she keeps saying like, there are other colors there. Like the sky is blue and, and you know, like there's, it, it, it's better than what we have here. And there's a really like cartoonishly corrupt mayor who, who I don't think was ever voted on he just seems to be like a self-imposed mayor yeah it feels almost like a lineage thing it feels like yeah maybe yeah yeah at least based on some of the stuff you see in their house but i think that area and those hours are are helpful because i think it gives you a really good sense of like this community and it is like charming in a way as like as as sad and as much as you also want to go to the surface there is comfort in that place and you know there are kids who all play they play a game called earthborn which is a game within the game. It's essentially like a like a classic Dragon Quest. Yeah. Dragon Quest uh, three. Like, ga- like it really like yeah. the the hero on the game cartridge is just the dude from Dragon Quest three. Like straight yeah. up. That could have been its own game. And I think still would have been fun. You know, yeah. it's still like there's still enough interesting stuff going on in Earthborn that it's yeah. like way too good. And also, I think narratively, I think it's worth playing Earthborn alongside progressing the plot of Eastward because they kind of complement each other. Sort of like uh, Watchmen. I would compare it. You read my mind. Yeah, yes. Yeah. The, the comic and Watchmen. That's exactly what I was thinking. It feels very much like that. Yeah. Where there's sort of like a, a companion piece within the media itself. But yeah, it it basically just gets better and better. I would say like if you pick it up, play until there's sort of like a, you know, there are Zelda-ish dungeons where like there are puzzles. John uh, has his frying pan. He can hit items like across gaps so he can like put a bomb down and then hit it with his frying pan. And, you know, most of it's like puzzles. The combat's like serviceable. Like it's it's pretty good. Um, And the puzzles are like fun and not like super daunting like yeah there's a good sense of progression i think the boss fights are really what seal the deal i think that like there's a there's a boss fight early on that's like this big robot that sucks up like has like a vacuum for an arm and throughout that whole dungeon you've learned like the dungeon is based around these like gusts of air that either pull or blow out air so like kind of like Zelda where a lot of bosses will like make use of an item that boss actually made use of the puzzle solving so it's like Mm -hmm. if you have internalized the dungeon you'll know like when to put a bomb down so the vacuum will suck it up and then you can hit him with the frying pan (laughs) and eventually you get Sam who also has her own abilities and you can switch between the two of them to solve puzzles what I really loved is I think one of the final dungeons in the starting area that is kind Kind of like a tutorial in retrospect. Yes. But you had to progress through the dungeon together. Like Sam and John are divided and you are each like switching between the two and like helping the other progress. It reminds me weirdly of like a, a, a Mario Party mini game, like early on where like mm. one team had to like push and pull levers, to let the other one run through. But it's like, it's really fun and you feel like you're a genius when you're like switching between <laughs> the two and like pulling all this off. And that, that moment, moments like that and that moment itself really solidify their partnership, like their companion together like they're yeah. a really really great duo like you immediately would die for both of those characters <laughs> and 
as the game progresses and as you head eastward and as the stakes grow, like I'm just so invested in the story and the characters. And I mean, if nothing else, all elements of this game, I think, are at least good, if not wonderful. The the sprite work and the animation and just the visuals of this game are unbelievable. Like it's maybe one of the best looking Switch games, I think. And it does feel like a sequel to Mother in the sense that like they're using that kind of character design, but they have so much more life based on how they're animated and like totally. you know the facial expressions and the music is like really wonderful uh, yeah the music's amazing every song is like a little sad which always gets to me like even yeah. the happy songs feel like oh this moment's fleeting and all the save points <laughs> are fridges and the fridges are like if you refrigerate yourself are you the same person when you open the door like ah! um <laughs> Yeah, I, I I really love it. There's a cooking mini game that's so fun. I think cooking is the new fishing for all RPGs in terms of like oh, yeah. the mini game that keeps showing up. Like totally. Tales of Arise, you can cook and it's always wonderful. And uh, you really need to do it. Like it also I think solidifies that like one of the main tools of survival is this like very wholesome activity where mm-hmm. John is like providing for himself and for Sam. And there are other characters that kind of like join you. They're not really in, they're not controllable, but there's like a couple that kind of go along for the ride, which is cool. I only feel like I've gotten to know one pretty well, but there have been a couple more introduced. But mm. yeah, I'm at the end. I, I just finished chapter two. I'm at the beginning of chapter three. I needed to put it down though, because it's Heavy. a lot. It, it's yeah. a very, it, the game itself, I think, is only 30 hours, but I think that like you will want to pace it out. It's also paced out in a way where like a lot of the chapters will end and it will say like to be continued. So like it has that episodic structure. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's like, again, this is so much shit. But I think that like sometimes this sort of uh, the games that try to emulate Earthbound or Mother or Undertale or whatever, like it's such a specific style of game. Like there's such like a almost like autorship to those original games that like I always always in like worried about it being like blurring the line between homage and just like copying and i think that this game is is so very much itself even when there's a very clear like call out to what inspired it like you said i don't think you know i think if you are a mother fan you'll probably really love this game but i don't think uh it's a continuation as much as like an interrogation and a like sort of uh again it feels like a mother fan growing up and looking back uh, which is yeah bittersweet yeah yeah that's uh that's that's very much been my my relationship with this thing so far is it just feels like uh if they had continued making the mother franchise and like aged it up for the audience that was that grew up playing mother uh this would be the game for them yeah i I just to harp on it a little more like visually this game is stunning even the stuff underground that i didn't find very compelling like in trailers and stuff ends up being like weirdly beautiful largely due to just like incredible sprite work and this like really wonderful like not even remotely light chromatic aberration filter they put on all of it so it kind of has like a vhs on a crt kind of element to it that like little kind of uh visual shift that's happening is really really pretty i don't know i could just glow about this game forever it really does make me think i think they mentioned this on the besties or something i don't know i heard this somewhere but it really makes me think that uh minish cap should be on switch because like it has that like same level of artistry that Minish Cap had on the Game Boy Advance yeah. that like would still look great. I've played this game a lot handheld and on TV. I wanted to play it on the TV because I wanted to like plug it into my sound system um, and just like hear yeah. the music and found like, wow, this 
art looks great on a gigantic TV also. It just is great. Like I, I was wondering if it was great because it was, you know, small and condensed, but even blown up, it's like amazing. Yeah, I'm again, I'm at the beginning of chapter two. Uh, even a lot of the conversations in the discord were like, once you get to the end of chapter two, you'll like really be in it. And uh, I haven't hit there yet. Because again, I've just been playing a shitload of Deathloop and Tales of Arise. So probably come back next week gushing even more about Eastward if I were to guess. But it's great. I mean, it it really does feel like one of the best games of the year also immediately. Uh, it's it's yeah. pretty stunning. Yeah. E- even at the beginning, the thing that I found really strange about my experience with it was like when I started, I thought, this is pretty good. Like, I get why people like it, but I don't know if it's like, you know, game of the year for me, or I don't know if it's like really up there, maybe even if it's for me, but I, I appreciate a lot of the things that it's doing. And then I realized like two more hours had gone by and I was still playing it. And that, <laughs> and I was like, yeah. that's weird that I just dumped all this time into a thing I was pretty ambivalent about. And then I put it down and I was like doing the dishes and had this thought like, is this game a masterpiece? Am I playing something that's like really... <laughs> really really special and i'm just like so early on that i can't see it for what it is yet but like there's clearly something compelling me to continue playing it yeah Uh, and i have continued feeling that i mean i do think i do think the beginning is a little slow i think it's by design but i do think it's like there's a good amount of time where you just have to go from point a to point b and you have to pause the game and pull up your map to see where to go every time which is like my one gripe it's like just give me like an arrow or something yeah, I put feel an arrow like the, on the screen. totally agree the checking the map over and over again it's not especially even a helpful map either because there's like a lot of like verticality that goes ignored so yeah. it's fine like it works and again it's not an issue once you're like in because you're thinking about other things that aren't the map mm-hmm. but i do think that like there's a version of an experience here where someone might play like an hour and be like yeah it was, it was cute but whatever i'm moving on i agree really yeah. like really at least give it until you fought the robot with the vacuum. I think that's like the point where the game, at least gameplay wise shows its true colors. And then at that point, you'll probably want to keep going because you're on the cusp of like the first area ending essentially. Right. Um, So that was, that was definitely the moment for me that like really it all clicked into place and I stopped being ambivalent and was just like effusive. That was, that that was really the moment. Also that moment ends with the first to be continued that you get, uh, even though it's not the end of chapter one, which is kind of interesting. Cause I, I, I texted you as soon as that boss was over and like it said to be continued. And I was like, Oh, I guess I finished chapter one and realized like, no, that's, that's not the end. Uh, but the end of chapter one is stunning. It's really good. What's really weird, too, is like there's this undercurrent to or not even undercurrent, but like the setting and the vibe is also like very The Last of Us as well. Like in terms <laughs> yeah. of like yeah. being like apocalyptic and like largely about these two characters like surviving, like, you know, sad dad and like, mm-hmm. you know, sort of a daughter figure. But it doesn't feel like The Last of Us in that like, again, I bring that up only because I think that's another like lens of like, okay, if Ichiban and like a dragon is applying Dragon Quest to like kind of like unconsciously ease the journey he has to go on. I feel like that's sort of happening here, but for the player, not as much mm. the characters, even though the characters also love Earthborn. And you can also spend money on like a Gashapon Earthborn merchandise that will like give you items in earthborn yeah they're like amiibos like you you get amiibos yeah. <laughs> for earthborn yeah we, we were yeah. texting about this a little bit last night but like what a fucking flex it is to have like a really oh, yeah. good i would say original like game boy pocket era rpg inside this very good game boy advance era rpg it's stunning it's like earthborn is great earthborn is a great game all by itself somehow yeah it's really good and i think it because it, it, it's in the classic like first person 
like text-based RPG combat, but they're immediately really interesting ideas. So like the first party member you get is the merchant who like runs off gold instead of uh, AP and the knight always takes a hit for the merchants. So there's like a little bit more like dynamic strategies going on than just like, yeah, I'm learning new spells or whatever. And then you get the there's monkey from, from Mother 3, just like in your party, just like straight up. Uh, Samba? No, what's his name? Wasn't it Samba? Salsa. Salsa, Salsa was yeah. the monkey. You're right, you're right, you're right. Yeah, they have like a... They have all these interesting abilities, but they don't listen to you right away. So they just do whatever. Uh, Very funny. So, yeah, uh, that's probably all I can say about Eastward right now without spoiling. I imagine we will talk about it again. Honestly, this is for me, at least right now, this is maybe bonus material. Like Mm -hmm. I could see a world in which we go through it and talk about the plot if it keeps delivering at the energy it it is. But uh, either way, like if what we've said appeals to you, if you're a fan of RPGs like this with like a very heavy but heartwarming story uh you'll have a great time with this so would recommend yeah my only thing my only like asterisk on my recommendation here is that if you live in a place where it can become fall maybe play this in the fall like real like this has big autumn energy and i i had this feeling when i was playing it last night that was like should i put this down and wait until the leaves start changing and it gets a little colder and i can wear a sweater because it really feels like a game i should play while wearing a sweater it has autumnal energy for sure i mean the leaves are weirdly changing in chicago so i i I feel like i can i can at least oh yeah you're in the zone you're great yeah it's very hot today here in new york i have the air conditioner on not a good day for Eastward. Maybe Not, a little bit of Earthborn instead. Yeah, yeah. It's a good day for Tales of Arise or Deathloop. <laughs> anyway, uh, do you want to take a break and then move on to more tales? I would love to do that. Okay. Goodbye. All right. See ya. Hey, we are back. And just a heads up, uh, we're going to be talking about Tales of Arise again. Um, this time we're going to go into a little bit more detail with the story and characters. So like... I wouldn't say we're going to spoil a ton, but like maybe like if you want to go in completely blind, don't listen to this. And maybe like we might lightly spoil like the first couple areas. Like, right. Is that what we're getting into? Yeah, I I kind of want to talk a little bit more specifically about some of the stuff that's happening from like an environment and party and character perspective sure. without like spoiling a whole lot. But again, I mean. Last week, we were pretty high on that game. Um, so if you haven't heard about Tales of Arise, like go back and listen to that segment and decide if it's for you or not. But uh, yeah, I, I don't I don't plan on like giving big beats away, really. I just want to talk a little bit more specifically about it now that I've played like way, way, way more. I'm like pretty much towards the end. Yeah. So yeah, that's our spoiler warning. Uh, we're going to say some stuff. Sorry to be ambiguous about it. Oh, yeah. It, we're, yeah, we're not going to reveal basically no like plot beats, but we'll talk more about like characters and everything. Yeah. But uh, I am at the beginning of the third area currently still. So you're I want to say twice as far as I am. Yeah, I am. <laughs> Maybe more. Just I guess as a framing device, like literally in, in the case of this game, there are five realms, each of them run by a lord and you have to make your way from realm to realm and take out each of the lords. And the game is, you know, a very structured narrative. It's not like you can do them in any order or whatever. It's like, you know, just a it's a story and you're watching the story play out as you're continuing to play the game. Uh, and you start off in one realm then you make your way to the second one, third one, fourth one, fifth one. So I am uh, in the midst of the fifth realm right now, which I guess I guess means I'm like oh, towards the cool. end if I had to guess. From what I know, this game is like 30 to 40 hours and I am just coming up on 30 hours. So... 
I feel like there's probably not a secret sixth realm or something, but maybe, I don't know. Yeah, there, there could be. Yeah. All of that having been said, that's where I'm at at this point in the game. I'm curious how you're feeling um, done with the second realm now, because I the first one is very much like a tutorial realm, as we talked about last week. You know, you have your two characters, Iron Mask and uh, Xion, and the two of you are like, you know, essentially joining this resistance group in this Mad Max fiery hellscape lava world uh, where the guy who's running the place calls himself Wild Beast um, and is just like a nightmare person. And like that boss fight against Wild Beast is like the end of the tutorial because that's really like, yeah, them like walling you off. Like, did you learn how the combat works? And if you did, you'll be fine. And the second realm, it kind of opens up a little bit more. They start introducing more party members um, and starts to get like way more interesting from a narrative perspective, I think, because the first realm is like, oh, my God, am I just going to walk through all of these like apocalyptic wastelands one by one? Like, here's the fire version of the apocalyptic wasteland. Here's the ice version of the apocalyptic wasteland. Like, am I just going to continue walking through these valleys of fucking darkness um, and like fight a really evil person? And I think the second realm kind of quickly bucks that and shows you that the game has like way more interesting things to say than just like man yeah it sucks when there are oppressors right it's worth noting too when you beat the first lord uh iron masks masks breaks to reveal half his face and then the anime intro begins so it's like okay that is the intro of the game yeah yeah it it very much reminds me of how like midgar felt in the original ff7 where Mm, like yeah you're there for the sort of formative hours of the game and then you're like free and and this sort of like the lens of the game changes like you're kind of conditioned to feel like that's going to be the whole thing and then you're like free this doesn't have the same dramatic level but it has more of a gradual one where like every new area feels like a little bit more open. There's a little bit more freedom. Uh, you're getting new characters. Like the second area is when you get two new party mates. Yeah. What are the names again? Law and uh, Rinwell. 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 They really round out the party well too. Uh, Cause I feel like Alfin is this well-meaning guy, but he's only lived in like lava hell and has a mask <laughs> over his whole face. So like yeah. he's, He's ignorant to a lot. Like he has really good intentions, but he doesn't really know anything. And Shion, I think, is someone who seems to know way more, seems to have been sort of hurt by the world and is like very protective, like of herself and of others, but comes off as very like cruel and uh, short tempered. Right. But there's clearly a reason for that. And I think that, you know, in the beginning, though, you're getting these very kind of opposites attracting personalities. It's like a lot. And then you just get like two nice kids who are like ready to go on an adventure. <laughs> like, oh, thank God. <laughs> Rainbow's like, I'm a mage and I have an owl. It's like, oh, thank God. We have someone who's just like chill. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, everyone, everyone's really interesting. I think that like. When you get that classic party of four, I think the game really takes off. I think that like, you know, the the opening, as we said last episode, we talked about it, like the opening hours, I think, are really strong. I was like immediately gripped by the story. But I think the game just like blossoms. Like it really it, it continues to sort of unfold and give you a little bit more, you know, between like cooking at camp and learning new recipes to like give your party a buff, giving you more combat abilities. The game does a great job slowly giving you more combat like tools so it doesn't feel overwhelming whereas like Deathloop I mean very different game but I think in terms of tutorializing the combat 
Deathloop is like explaining everything right away and then letting you do it. Whereas this game is like only letting you do a couple things and then being like, okay, cool. Now that you know that, here's this new angle to it, which I think mm-hmm. is such a better way to do it. And again, I don't really know, like because of Deathloop as a game, like it's unfair to like compare, but I just think that that's usually the way I want to learn. Like, give me the basics and then let me like experiment on top of that before you tell me the meta strategies when I'm still learning how to like, crouch down you know yeah um so uh but yeah i i really love this game i think that the comparison we made to dragon quest kind of only continues to grow like i i often forget it's not dragon quest and i think that the characters are just growing really strong i really love every time you like progress the story a little bit the menu changes which also adds to this idea of sort of like an episodic nature to the story where like small detail but i really loved it i think it's it's somewhat subtle, but like every time you beat a Lord, you get like a new like elemental sphere. Basically, I forgot what they're called, but there's like a master cores. Uh, yeah, ma- they couldn't say crystals like we can't be too obvious. They're ma- yeah. they're not crystals. <laughs> they're master cores. And you get the master core of light from the second Lord. And before then, every pause menu, the characters are like kind of obscured by shadow. Like in the very beginning, it's like Shion and Iron Mask facing in different directions, obscured by shadow. And in the beginning, too, Iron Mask has his whole face covered. He's in rags with like a dull sword. And Shion is like in, you know, like a, a, a plain dress and, you know, whatever. And there's a strange focus on like clothes in the first chapter where like there's a whole beat where Shion's like, I got to go like get my like Renan dress before we do this quest. Mm. And, and Iron Mask is like, what the fuck? Like, why do we have to go all this way to, for a dress? But like it's so her vibe and so her personality to need and want that. And you also see the importance of like the individuality of being able to like wear what you want and look how you want, you yeah. know, like there's something, right. there's something important about it. And, and seeing Iron Mask go from being it's part, it's part of freedom, right? It's like, I, I think this game is yeah. exploring freedom and, and choice in a lot of different ways. And yeah, and that is her freedom to choose how she presents herself to the world. At least was my read on that. Right. Right. I mean, and you know, you have a guy who can't even show his face and then some, who has the ability to how look however she wants yeah it is very silly that you have and to go into like ancient ruins and like fight a bunch of weird <laughs> beasts in an ancient ruin dungeon to find the dress uh that's been like in like cryogenically frozen for question mark years but uh i don't know it's yeah i, I like the i like the idea of why you're doing it in the first place there, there's an organic moment too where like eventually iron mask his name is alfin you learn that like at the very end of part one and uh alfin is like why are we here whatever and then uh Xian comes out and he's like a little bit starstruck but like doesn't admit it yeah you know and there are so many support scenes where she's like why were you weird like do you think i'm stupid or do you hate me and he's like no you're just hot like i just I was like, like I, I took my breath away i can't say that though yeah um very funny but uh all the menus are like a version of like the characters being obscured or like facing away. And then at the end of the second area, you have the full party, all four of them facing the same direction and they're lit up. And it's like, it sounds very simple, but it's really effective. Like when you, when you pause the menu for the first time and you see them together, you know, Alfin has new armor. He's got like a new and improved look. Like Mm -hmm. you're really seeing the party like form. And I feel like that's, you don't always get that. Like you always get yeah, totally. a ragtag team of adventurers, but you never really see like like this party started from nothing. It was a guy with a dull sword with no face. Yeah. And now you have this like <laughs> it, it's almost like that shot of them is where most games would begin. 
You know, most yeah. games would start there. It feels a little bit like the Avengers in a way. Like it has like an Avengers vibe to it where like they came together out of necessity, not because they were like all like friends and buds, you know, but sure. become friends and buds along the way. Uh, at least where I'm at in the game, like the party has gotten much closer. All the support scenes are about like exploring the relationships between one another instead of just learning about one another. Because at first it's yeah. like it's literally them getting to know each other. Like every time you sit down at a campfire, it's like, let me ask you about yourself because I don't know. Like, why have I never seen a mage before? Why are you the first mage I've ever met in my life? You know, and you learn a lot about mages. And you learn a lot about Rinwell and her background and things like that. Um, and eventually it just becomes about like the two of them, like hanging out, you know, or, you know, whoever is talking. And that's great. That that progression from like we're, we're together because we're like probably the most powerful people and we need to take down the other most powerful people to like oh, we're actually just like a classic RPG party like having fun and yeah being good friends and I think I think each zone represents not only like a type of oppression from the Lord but also like what the party is going through at that time so yeah. like the first one is freedom like in all areas like yeah looking the way you want showing your face showing you know your your fashion and and reminding people they have the freedom to do whatever they want to rise up and the second area it's all about trust because like everyone Mm -hmm. in that kingdom is being paid to like rat each other out there's like a lot of deception and at that point the party really doesn't trust each other at all right even though they they have this victory under their belts like and that's actually where i started to warm up the shion that like the second area is where i think alfin reveals a little bit of his like foolishness and shion reveals like her Wisdom. We're like, without spoiling, there's a point where something sad happens and uh Alfin is like going on and on and Shion just slaps him and is like what we just did was fucking impossible so like right. you've got to like it's a great sequence realize that like we're going to like if we're gonna do this if you're gonna be the leader of this rebellion that like you know the Renans have ruled for like 20,000 years or whatever like you've got to realize it's gonna take sacrifices and like yeah. that was a really needed lesson in humility because like you can't get worked up over every defeat especially in the face of victory you know, on the mm-hmm. grand scheme of things. Yeah. Um, I think Rinwell is a really interesting character. I don't really know as much about her yet. I think the star of, of that area is Law, who is the son of a major character who, like, again, doesn't trust his dad. Uh, I think is working for the bad guy initially. Yeah. And to see his arc through that and who he ends up becoming and what his role is for the party is, like, really, really cool. Yeah. Like, I, I saw some discussion in the Discord about how, like, Law could have been the main character in some ways. And, like, that's just a sign of a good ensemble. I'm so glad that he's not. Yeah. Yeah, I think that because it's, like, he is usually who would be the main character. Like, the gung-ho. Yeah. Uh, you know. But I think what's interesting is that, like, he has the sort of, like, gung-ho anime protagonist vibe. But he also has this, like, very sketchy past. You know, he's, like, made big mistakes. And, again, I think it's it's the strength of seeing the party becoming heroic and not just starting there um that i think is really working for me in this game yeah that area in particular i think really teased out like what the game is going for from like an overall theme perspective too um as as you were saying before like that area is espionage and that area is like tinker taylor soldier spy and everyone you meet you don't know if you can trust them and you're like hanging out with like a resistance group like trying to push back against this culture that has been cultivated that is like everyone is each other's enemy in the entire place um and you you see some really horrific shit go down uh in that area and uh 
it wraps up in a really, really, really satisfying way and leads you into the third area, which I I think is like maybe the most interesting thing that the game has to offer from what I've seen so far. I, I think the third area is like, you know, it, it's like the eye of the duck, I think, of the um, <laughs> of the game as far as like the realms are concerned. And I, I don't know a whole lot about the fifth realm from where I'm at so far. So like maybe that'll that'll become my favorite or whatever down the line. But um, without saying too much about it, because I don't really want to spoil it, but like the third area is beautiful and almost like a Garden of Eden kind of vibe. Um, and everyone is living in harmony. And that is so scary. <laughs> it's like when you when you walk in and you see like the Renan soldiers that you've been beating the shit out of, like hanging out with Dan and children and like they're on equal playing field. It's immediately nerve wracking because like there's got to be something right. beneath the surface here. It was the catch. Yeah. And without saying too much more, like your party grows even more in that area. They they add uh, more people to your party and like. The way the game kind of unfolds from that point on, I think, is just like, I don't know, a, a train ride directly to heaven. Like, it is, it is so <laughs> good that that sequence, the stuff that happens in that area, like really raises the stakes, I think, in a way that is shocking and darker than I was expecting it to get. It feels a lot like Full Metal Alchemist in a way in, 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 oh, okay. in terms of like the darker narrative turn it takes where like you already know that there are bad guys and there are good guys and your goal is to fight the bad guys. And there is like a much more devious, sinister thing going on underneath the surface that is revealed to you in that section that becomes a little bit more of the through line for the rest of it. And it is like stunning. And that leads into the fourth area, which again, I don't want to say too much about, but I found the fourth area to be like a little bit of like a retread, a little bit of like it's a it's a little too obvious what it's trying to do right off the bat. And then at a certain point, about halfway through, it gets really, really, really heavy. And from that point on, the fourth area is just like incredible and and leads to a, a really wild conclusion. Um, I'm trying to be very vague about it, but yeah, the, for, the fourth area, if you start it and you're like, oh, I don't know if this is working as well, has the fucking wildest. I don't I don't even want to really call it a payoff because like. It's dark, right? Because like you're leading into the end of the game. So like things have to start going poorly for the heroes. Like you can't just keep winning over and over again. But uh, it's very satisfying from a story perspective where it goes there. And uh, and then the fifth area is good. But I, I literally want to say nothing about the fifth area. Anyway, point being uh, the game like really just doesn't stop being good to great. And I have been very surprised at how well it's held itself together. I think a lot of that is due to like. First of all, obviously, just great characters and writing and story and world like that's all very good. But it would be hard to engage with all of that if the gameplay wasn't also really great. So like in the third area, for example, on your way to the city is your first like kind of wide open area or it's like a really large area, at least that you can kind of make your way around. And they introduce the idea that if you chain a bunch of enemies together, so like you can run into a group of enemies and fight them and then immediately run to another group of enemies and fight them. You build up this like combo meter of fights. Uh, and if you continue to build that combo meter, you get like better items and more experience and, you know, a multiplier on everything. And if you continue doing that all the way, you'll get to fight like a little mini boss in that area. And that stuff is really, really fun. And that's where it gets into like the very, uh, the very like Kingdom Hearts 2 kind of aspect to the game that I really appreciate and something I haven't really felt in a lot of RPGs since then, which is like, I really do want to go harvest all the materials and build all the best weapons and like do all of the things that I 
would need. I want to do every side quest. Like I really am trying to complete everything in this game. And I think that's just a testament to how strong the gameplay side of it is as well. So, I mean, there are obviously gripes like I there are a lot of things that the game like is not firing on all cylinders on um but i can really overlook them because i like everything else about it this is like one of those situations where i like this game so much that i'm willing to put up with a lot of bullshit for example like pretty much every realm ends with like a dungeon crawl where you have to find keys to unlock elevators that bring you to different floors of the dungeon and like oh yeah that that it's unsatisfying. It's not fun. It's just like something you have to like go through to get there. Uh, the only reason I'm okay with it is because I like the combat so much. We didn't even mention this yeah. in the last episode, but you can switch characters that you're playing as. So like when you start building out your party even more, you can switch which character you're playing as. It's very Final Fantasy VII remake in that way where you can switch over to Xion, for example, and then you are a healer with a gun and that's a completely different play style. You can switch over to Law, who's yeah. like a brawler, and you can like get up really close and like do all these like really wild combos and stuff and they all also have their own like specific i want to say like perks or like abilities that you can kind of keep track of and like make use of yeah which are really fun really interesting and as you continue to build the party you also have two people in reserve whose special abilities you can use whenever you want so like you have your four people who are like on the field fighting you have your two people who are off the field you can use those two people's special abilities even if they're not on the field which is really helpful oh that rules so like yeah. for example Rinwell's special ability because I don't want to spoil any of the later ones but Rinwell's special ability is that she can stop an enemy from casting a magic attack at any point so if she is off the field and you see somebody casting magic you just press a sequence of buttons and then you've used her special ability you know even though she's not on the field she's still helping you out which i think is really great because my concern was once i start building the party up i don't want to make the choice about who like stays and goes you know i i don't i don't want it to become like who do i like playing as the most because i think everybody has their own thing going on and i kind of want to experiment and like try out a bunch of different stuff uh and, and i really appreciate that the game is like no 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 no. you get to play with all your toys you don't you don't have to put any of them back in the box <laughs> like they're all there for you yeah um i think that's really really great the advantage too i think this has over final fantasy 7 remake and maybe i mean it's different but i do think it's generally more pleasant to experience because in ff7 remake there was a dependence on switching because like whenever yes. you're playing as one character the other two would be ai control but they would just do the basic attack they would mm-hmm. like attack and guard if you wanted to do anything other than that you had to switch over to them which was exciting and the game was built around this idea that you'd constantly be switching but you know it's tricky sometimes especially like if you just need someone to heal you like there was some materia that kind of did that but i think like there was definitely a play. I think we talked about this where like there could have been like some kind of gambit system or like an AI like, you know, yeah. strategy thing to give the party mates. Whereas in Tales of Arise, like they're all extremely helpful no matter who you're playing. Yeah. As. And they do have those strategies as well, which they is have cool. strategies. And you can even go like if you want to like because as they use different combat arts, there are different ways to unlock more combat arts. And, and one way is to like use one a lot to get the count up that will like unlock an upgraded version of that. Right. Art so yeah. So if you use so the like, same uppercut 400 times in, in <laughs> battle, you'll unlock like a better uppercut or like maybe a follow up attack to that uppercut. So your combo can string on longer. Yeah. Which is 
that's the one thing where I'm like, I'm almost overwhelmed at how many arts I have. I've kind of like, yeah. I usually play as Alfin and I've stuck to like the same three or four arts just to like max them out and then move on. I'm doing the same thing. Yeah. Uh, so like I had, but I did switch. I have double demon fang now, which rules. Uh, so, but the other thing too, is like usually the fancier arts will cost like two instead of one. And I found that usually it's better to get cheaper arts because you're, you're caring more about the combo than like the individual hit. Yeah. So that gets back to what we were talking about last week, which is the game isn't about like, okay, I got the best ability and I'm just going to spam that ability over and over again in combat. Like you really need to figure out how to string all that stuff together and tease a longer combo out because the longer the combo goes on and the more varied your, your attacks are, the quicker you build up the boost meter, which is like, you know, your special ability where you team up with somebody else in the party and and the two of you essentially just like end the fight. Uh, sometimes so cool. Sometimes enemies are yeah. so strong that like you'll need to do that twice or whatever. But uh, generally, that'll like just wipe out every enemy on the field if they're all pretty close to one another, which is really great. And that is accomplished like your ability to do those boost attacks is accomplished by mastering the combo system and like getting better at not breaking a combo at any point, which is really cool. So my I, I also generally only play as Alfin. I switch every once in a while, depending on like certain things. Um, yeah. But I have gotten to the point where my combat arts, like I have built them out in such a way that I know that I could like keep a combo going for like 50 to 60 hits or something, which yeah. is great. And then, you know, at that point, I'm just doing boost attacks constantly using everybody's special abilities. And it is really great. And a lot of the later bosses like really kind of demand that you learn that system. I don't think it's yeah. like super difficult and that's good. Like I'm again, I'm playing on the easy mode, like I'm playing on story or whatever it is. But that said, there is also like a near automata kind of thing where you could just turn on like an automatic fight mode and it just takes whoever your player character is and then puts them in whatever AI strategy you have everybody else set to. And then you literally could put the controller down if you wanted to and just like they do the fight for you. But you could also press the D-pad to activate the boost attacks when they trigger them, which is great. So like you still have a little bit of active motion there. Um, I haven't been using that for like boss fights and stuff, but I have used that occasionally if I'm trying to build up my uh my like battle combo if i'm like just going out in the world and like fighting a bunch of things or like i'm eating dinner while i'm also playing the game is like i'll throw it in auto mode and just like go do all the fight like let the fights happen by themselves but like employ the strategy of like what special attacks am i using when what boost uh attacks am i using when and that has been actually really fun like just throwing the game in full auto sometimes for that purpose um has been great yeah. but uh generally speaking i i leave it in manual because uh i mean the, the combat's really fun it i i really yeah. really enjoy same with Even me some of the some of the like bigger fights with like enemies that are much tankier and have a shitload of health like those fights go on for a long time and i've seen some people be like kind of turned off by that and i find it like exhilarating like i find it so fun to just go fight like the tankiest biggest fucking scary dragon thing it's great it's really yeah good. i mean those are moments where it weirdly feels like monster hunter like yeah, I, I like totally. there's like weak points on the monster and there's like elemental stuff going on I've been playing in normal and it's like honestly like pretty doable. The only thing the bosses are tough, but like it works in the moment and they're not like impossible. They're just sort of like demanding that you use what you've learned. I think my goal might be like 
Because I, I do think the other characters are really fun to play as, and they all feel really different, which is a good thing. I think I might do something where once I max out the arts I want to with Alfin, I'll start switching more. But okay, now I want to max out like bees with Xion and mm-hmm. bees with uh, Rinwell. My favorite boost attack or my favorite like super move that you build up to is when Rinwell makes like a arcane like symbol and then Xion just shoots the gun through it. Yeah. It's so, it's like perfect. It turns into like a tidal wave. Yeah, it's so cool. Uh, it's It's so fun. Also, uh, as you talk to owls, like there are owls you encounter on the world map and they each give you like a different cosmetic item. Highly recommend once you get sunglasses, like give them to Xion. It makes her character even better because like she's always like too cool to be there and wants to leave. And just having her with sunglasses just really makes it all work on, yeah. a, on a new level. I, I had the sunglasses on Rinwell for a little bit because she just had like big Matrix energy. Which I thought was very silly. And then I got into a cutscene with Rinwell with sunglasses on that was supposed to be heavy and like it totally undercut the tone of it. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah. I, need to, I need to take these off. Uh, this, is, yeah. this is a problem. That's the thing. Like Scarlet Nexus had that too. And Scarlet Nexus, the story was like silly enough that I didn't mind cutting the tension with like yes. everyone having aviators. Yeah, same. But here it's like, you know, if if Alfin has like a mouse tail, it's a little strange when he's <laughs> like, I gave everything for you. <laughs> <Or whatever. laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's an incredible game. I, uh, I also think this could be a bonus one day. I don't want to like call too many shots here, but it's, I think once we're both done with it, we'll probably have a lot to say about the story and yeah. the cast and everything. I, yeah, I think at at least I'm going to want to do a spoiler cast because I'm I'm withholding so much right now. Like there yeah. are, there are yeah. multiple moments in this game where I have gasped or yelled out loud and like like yeah. popped off the couch and like needed to walk around after stuff happened. The the biggest moment for me is one that you have just recently hit, which is um the way the second Lord ends like literally made me yell at the top of my lungs out loud, which was so fun. Um, it's a great moment. So infrequently do I feel that way about like any piece of media, but like I literally like (laughs) rocketed out of the couch and, and pumped my fist in the air because I was so amped on it. It's it's just, it's just the best. It has this sort of like coziness and like uh, like you can play this game for hours and just like run around and fight monsters and like cook and like do this sort of like yeah. surface level stuff and have a great time. And then when you get to the story, it's like actually good. So I feel like it has a lot of like, again, I think this and Dragon Quest Eleven are the best examples of like, okay, we know what works in the genre. We know the classics, the hits, but we're going to modernize it to make it like a smoother ride from start to finish yeah and all it, it just it just has so many great quality of life features as well and i feel like the way the world map is designed like i always like because honestly a big pet peeve of mine and something that i struggle with is i get lost so easily every in real life and also in games mm. i hate getting lost i hate being given too many options like even in eastward there was a point where like there were like a few paths to go down i'm like uh i don't want to go down like one path out of curiosity and then have it be the actual path and there's a cutscene. but i wanted to check out the other ones first yeah, like totally. i hate that but the way the world map is designed is like so easy to be like okay here's where they want me to go but there's a little little path off the shoot and yes. i'm going to find an owl there or, or pick some berries i just it makes it so streamlined in a way that i really appreciate and it has the most generous fast travel like literally of all time yeah you're just constantly unlocking fast travel points and you can use them whenever you want at any point unless there's like a story reason why you can't which does happen every once in a while but generally generally speaking like you could just go visit wherever you want whenever and going back to old realms that you've already gotten through after certain other points in the story will unlock new side quests that you can go back and do later which is really cool as well so they do kind of incentivize you going back yeah and it's also really worth going back just to soak in the atmosphere like it's 
it's like, what does this world look like when you've taken the Lord out of power? And like, yeah, seeing how the people are behaving, what they're talking about, the music change. Like one big thing with the second realm is that it's always night. You know, before you take out the Lord, it's always nighttime. Yeah. And uh, maybe that changes. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's it's just incredible. I, I think like in this episode, we've covered three games that are like amongst our favorite, if not our favorites for the year already. So like, yeah, and th- this game to me, like, I guess compared to Eastward, if you want to count Eastward as like an RPG, which maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I don't know. But like um, the narrative in Tales of Arise, I think, is like it, it's fun and it has weight. You know, it's it's like a really good balance of like, OK, here's sort of like a, you kind of know what you're getting into, but it's just surprising enough and it keeps it fresh enough that you're going to be surprised by mm-hmm. by the turns and by the things that happen. It really makes me want to check out other Tales games. So like, dear listener, if you are a big Tales fan, please let me know, like, which are the ones to check out. I have Vesperia downloaded and I started it on uh, my Xbox like very early on. I haven't fought anyone yet. I just have mm. the dog with the pipe in his mouth. That intro, though, like every Tales game apparently has like a big anime intro and the intro for Vesperia sold me on it immediately. I'm like, this rules. Oh, nice. So good. Yeah. yeah. That, that game is on Xbox. It's also on Switch. I'm always told that Symphonia is the one, but that's only available on GameCube and like hasn't gotten a remaster or anything. So I'm wondering if like that's going to come down the line, you know, like if the Vesperia port did well enough, I wonder if Symphonia will show up on something eventually because I would love to play that. I just like don't have a GameCube. Uh, so I can't I can't. Do yeah. That. that said, though, I didn't I didn't realize this. You know, a lot of this is my own just kind of ignorance about this franchise. But, you know, it's been around since the late 90s and was essentially like an annual cadence for releases. Like it was they were releasing a new Tales game like every year for years. And this was the first time they ever took a break. And it's been like four or five years since the last one that came out. Like they really took their time with this one. And I haven't played the other one, so I, I can't really comment on it. But I'll just say like it feels like a pretty considered game. And it, oh, yeah. it, it feels like a success. And just based on what I've seen from people who like this franchise um, and what I've heard, and what I've read, it seems like pretty unanimously everyone who plays it is like, yeah, this should be what the future of this franchise is. Yeah, it's really strong. It seems like the kind of case like, like Dragon Quest or Persona, it's okay, play 11 or 5 first. And then if you like it, there's like more for you now that yeah. you're like have entered the series. Yeah. It kind of feels like that's what this is. Where and, it's like, and play like, Tales of Arise first. Like Dragon Quest as well. It seems like if you go back and read reviews of earlier entries, it's like the people who like this franchise, like love every entry, you know, you know, there, there's like back and forth on which one's the best one and et cetera, et cetera. But you'll read reviews from people who like are not Tales people and they'll be like, I don't I don't know what this is. I don't, I don't really like this very much. Um, <laughs> I, fi- I find a similar thing with Yakuza, right? Like we were just talking before we started recording about the Lost Judgment reviews and it's really back and forth between like people who like the Yakuza games and like Judgment are like, this is a great game, great story, loved it, you know, like peak this team, you know, knocking it out of the park. And then other people who were like, I, you know, I don't know a lot about this franchise and uh, this game really wasn't for me. And that's kind of what the Tales games seem to be like. So I, I'm excited to like have a new franchise to dip into. The, oh, the only too, bummer yeah. is like, I don't know which one to go to next. Uh, Vesperia seems like the most obvious one because it's right there. But there's also one for the reason I'm bringing all this up. There's one for the 3DS that I've seen like wildly mixed opinions on. There's one for the 3DS that I think is a remake of a different one. But anyway, the reviews are either like terrible or they're like, I love Tales and this game is great and this port is great. So I'll be very interested to maybe try that one at some point also. Yeah. Point being like, it's cool to just like have a new franchise to be into, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, this is sort of like 
it's never really been as big in the West, kind of like Dragon Quest. You know, I feel like until 11 or I guess maybe eight technically, but like 11 yeah. felt like the big hit, you know, where yeah, like totally. before 11, it was very much like a, a niche thing in, in yeah. the US and huge in Japan. I remember eight being big, but like 11 was definitely the one. Uh, it seems like. yeah so like there's gonna be a lot of a lot more eyes on dragon quest 12 than there were on dragon quest 11 absolutely yeah yeah which like i this i you and i keep texting each other while we're playing tales like man like final fantasy 16 and dragon quest 12 both like have a lot to follow like to be honest like, it's that level you know it's really yeah. that level of rpg or jrpg where like i think that the stakes have risen for whatever the new final fantasy and new dragon quest are yeah i i think from from what I gather, it seems like fans of Tales and just like the people who make Tales for the longest time have just been like trying to get this series on that level, you know, like yeah. really trying to push it up to like be in contention with the other heavy hitters like Final Fantasy and Dragon Quest. And to me, this this one like absolutely does. Again, I'm coming at this from the place of like only recently being a fan of JRPGs. Yeah. But even still, like amongst the ones I've played, which is a lot now, Tales of Arise. Yeah, is you're like, in, man. Yeah, I'm like fully in. You played Lost Odyssey. You're like one of the 18 people who played <laughs> Lost Odyssey. So like you're in. You're 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 neck deep at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, I wish that game was better. <laughs> well, you got Tales of the Rise. Yeah, we got. This Tales of the Rise. is uh, it, it's so good. I I I'm very. Uh, I think 2021 again. I think it's kind of been seen as this weaker year for game releases. Like up until this week. <laughs> You know, it's like there's there's been great stuff. I mean, we've covered a lot of incredible games, trickery, like really wonderful stuff has come out already. Wildermyth, like there's so many great games, just to name literally two. But uh, yeah, all like September is always the like pull a lever and and Nickelodeon slime worth of content falls yeah. on you. I I've been here. I've been hearing that a lot about this year, and I kind of agreed for a long time. But there was a point like around the spring or like the end of spring where it was like very clear that this year was not going to be like a less than like, you know, destroyed by COVID uh, kind of year as far as game releases went. Yeah. And, and now it's like unstoppable. I mean, like just the stuff that's still to come out this year and the stuff that we've yeah. already played, the fact that these three games came out in the past week is so fucked up. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we've got a new Metroid coming out. I think uh, Delta Rune Chapter Two is out. Yeah, Sable of, comes out next this week. Recording, yes, Sable's coming. Yeah, out. Yeah, a lot of really cool stuff. And I mean, again, like the new Metroid alone is worth a lot of excitement. Yeah, I really hope it's good. I'm I'm optimistic. I think the the first party Nintendo stuff rarely misses. You know, like it's just been in development for so long that that's either a great sign or a bad sign. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah, I get it. That's my that's my big concern. Uh, yeah. But this is also coming like I'm coming from a place that like you were at with the Mass Effect Legendary Edition, which is like what if emotionally guarded, emotionally. Yeah. guarded. What if it's terrible? Like, don't get your hopes up too high, but be happy if it's great. Not even what if it's terrible. Me assuming it would be terrible. Yeah. Uh, until I until I put it in my PS5. <laughs> <laughs> Um, my big issue with Metroid, my my fear about it, just to uh, externalize it, say it out loud so I can begin to cope and get over it. Yeah, get over it. Is the world of Metroidvanias has shifted and improved so much since Metroid Fusion came out, which that, you know, Metroid Dread is a sequel to Metroid Fusion on the Game Boy Advance. You know, in a world where something like Hollow Knight exists or Ori or other games that have like hit those same highs that are like iterating on that same kind of game design like can a new Metroid 
be that? Like, can it can it stand toe to toe with those kinds of things? And I hope the answer is yes. Nintendo, like, as you were just saying, their first party stuff is like generally unmatched. But there is still that like trepidation, especially considering I think early in the Switch lifecycle, every game that came out was like, oh, my God, this is the best version of, you know, X Nintendo IP that there's ever been It's the future of that. You know, yeah. Fire Emblem, great example. Mario Odyssey, great example. Uh, Zelda, Wilds, great example. Yeah. And then that started to not be the case with a lot of other Nintendo IPs. So it's really like a 50 50 split. Like, is this going to be more of what we've gotten before? Or is this going to be like a huge evolution? Oof. I mean, I'm very interested to see how that game comes out. I'll tell you why I'm optimistic, because I think it's actually it goes back to a conversation we had about Fusion on our Game Boy Advance episode, where I think Fusion specifically still feels so unique in that world. Like Mm. There are very few Metroidvanias that have gone for that tone of horror and of like being chased throughout that type of environment. Yeah. And I think so, like, I would have those concerns if they just said, here's a new Metroid. But what weirdly gives me comfort is the fact that it is a follow up to Fusion. Mm. You know, like that specific focus, I think, is why I'm like, this will probably be great because I think Mm. that's the direction you should go in. Yeah. I think you're probably right. I'm right. I figured it out. There's no reason to worry. It's going to be great. But I, I don't blame you. Again, I uh, I assume the worst for things I love to protect myself. Yeah. Returnal, another time loop game that came out this year. Yeah, there's a lot. Returnal. Let's see if we can do them all. Returnal, Deathloop. Uh, loop Hero counts. City, 12 minutes. Loop Hero definitely counts. It's in Got the title. A name. Yeah. <laughs> that might be it. That might be it, but it's a lot, a lot all at once. I mean, that, like primarily deal with it. There are, there are actually but. other, I'm looking at the list of every game we've played and talked about so far this year. Um, I have a big list and, uh, there are other ones that are that, that I don't want to say out loud because they might spoil some narrative stuff. Um, oh. but it is very zeitgeisty, very zeitgeisty. Yeah. Well, it's also kind of coincidental because I mean, something like forgotten city, did that in 2015 and has been in development since then. So mm-hmm. they weren't like, I got to get on this loop hero shit. <laughs> you know, they, they were already. <laughs> yeah, none of the, yeah. All these games have been in development for a long time. Yeah. It's also something that I think is like, I think as games get older as a medium, there are like conventions that become focal points of like narrative interrogation. Yeah. So I think for a while it was player choice. And I think now it's like the idea of starting over itself. I mean, Hades kind of did that as well. Like, mm-hmm. Even outside of roguelikes, the idea of trying again and if the characters or the setting are aware of that growth as well. Yeah, that that that's a very interesting mine for a, a game to go down. Yeah, I think so, too. I, th- I Yeah, I'm, I'm very into all the time loop games that have happened except for 12 minutes, which I haven't played and probably won't. But I'm, I, I love I love this focus on on looping. I think it's great. Yeah. Should we wrap up? Yeah, I'm done. I got nothing else to say about any of these three games. Man, I have a lot more to say, but uh, we should probably wrap up. This has been a long episode so because there's, I mean, <laughs> all three of these games are fucking incredible. So I think it's actually yeah. not that long because our middle section was, well, maybe it is. We'll find out. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty long, Steve. It's been a long time. <laughs> anyway, I'm excited to play more Deathloop now that you explained to me like how to play it at all. Yeah. Because uh, I think that it's going to really elevate my, I'm already enjoying it a lot, but I think I'll be at, at your level once I can like save anything I find. Yeah, you'll you'll be like losing sleep like I have been trying <laughs> to track down certain weapons and trinkets and things like that. Uh, yeah, 
I think I'm probably going to focus a bit on Tails. I'd like to catch up in that game. And I feel like uh, that's another, again, another good like fall game, weirdly. Yeah. You got to finish the third realm. That's that's my big plea to you before next week. Uh, Well, not before next week, but just like next time you're you're sitting down to play Tails, like finish the third realm. Because I, I think that that is like a real narrative high. Um, yeah, it's fascinating. I'd like to because they're both like of a moderate length. I think I'd like to finish tails or eastward before the other and i think i might do tails first because I, I need a little bit of time to process eastward yeah if i were to guess <laughs> i think all back. three games we talked about today are like 30 to 40 hours which is like a pretty yeah. good length i feel very good about that length. yeah i i think and that's another thing that really helps tails is i think the pacing is great i think it doesn't overstay it's welcome there's way too many vignettes but that's like really the only issue i have with the yeah narrative pacing i've been doing this thing where uh i'll be making dinner and I'll have the game on and I have my Xbox controller next to like all the food I'm preparing and, and cooking. Uh, and I have the volume blasted and I'm just like listening to the vignettes while I'm making dinner in the kitchen, uh, which has been a really silly and fun thing to do. So I've actually been listening to all the vignettes. <laughs> I just save them all up until I'm like making meals. Oh, that's awesome. That's a good idea. I might like run errands and like clean the house as <laughs> Renwell is like. Do you know of any other owls? Yeah. No. What's an owl? Yeah. I'll, I'll say um, this uh, and nothing else about it just for um, just for you, because <gasps> of something that you mentioned about Rinwell earlier. But the fourth realm focuses on Rinwell a lot. That's good because I like her as a character. I just don't know her story much yet. You're going to learn a lot more about Rinwell. Um, uh, but cool. I, I think if you get through the end of the third realm, you're like, I still don't know why she's here, or what her deal is. Uh, that'll all come together. Yeah. Well, I think because, you know, she and Law join at the same time and the focus is really on Law yes. for that section, the second section. I like, too, how now like Alfin and Shion are kind of like the mom and dad de facto mm-hmm. parental figures. Yeah. So ill-equipped to be parents. There, there's, a, there's, there's very literally uh, a campfire conversation you can have about that, about them being the mom and dad of the group. Any like little subtle detail you can pick up on the game, someone will say out loud, which again, we've talked about where it's like, <laughs> yeah. oh, that's a cool thing. And then Alfin's like, have you noticed this cool thing the writers have done? Um, <laughs> but, you know, fun if you got it. Why not? Yeah, why not? You want to. Uh, so let's wrap up. Uh, hey, thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you like the show, the best way to help it grow is to share it with a friend. Or you can go to IntoTheCast.online. Links to everything are there. Our Twitch, our YouTube. Uh, you can rate us on Apple Podcasts. You can also back us on Patreon. The Patreon bonus should be coming out relatively soon. It may already be out, but um, we really thank you for your patience on that one. Uh, we'll have an update soon on the Patreon as well. I'm going to be making a post there that will uh, uh, be announcing some potential changes to Patreon content. Nothing huge, but something we'd love your opinion on. Otherwise, uh, just thank you for backing the show again. Like even the bonuses themselves are still possible because of Patreon support. So like, you know, the, the ones that we release to everyone are made possible by you. So thank you for that. Um, and again, don't back the Patreon if, if it puts you in any financial strain, uh, we will not be offended if you have to pull support anytime, but if you do, it just helps the show grow. We we've gotten a pretty good amount in recent months, which is really amazing. Like we have editing costs mostly covered, I believe. Um, so anything past this just really helps us do more. So thank you so much. Really appreciate it. On my end, in terms of stuff outside the show, I am continuing my maddening run of the golden deer. Uh, I reached a truly maddening level that (laughs) I beat off stream and I'm going to pick up after that soon. I, I really wanted to be on stream, but I had this visceral 
need. I'm like, if I could beat this level, I actually can do anything. I think like I truly, this is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. If I can do this. <laughs> and that's like why I haven't played as much of Deathloop and all that. I'm like stuck on fucking the Gaultier inheritance on Maddening, but I did it. Uh, so that's exciting. I'm really, really, as you can tell, I'm really enjoying uh, doing that. Um, I think you had some stream plans as well, right? Uh, yeah, I did. Uh, I, I made a video of my first hour with Deathloop. Um, I'm probably going to stream more Deathloop um, as I get towards the end. I mean, that might just be a one and done. It might be like, you know, that video that was the beginning and here's the end. Uh, and you can fill in the blanks in between. But I'd like to do some more Deathloop stuff. And honestly, I mean, there's so much stuff coming out and I'll probably want to stream some of it. Um, so yeah, just stay tuned for that. Um, on the horizon for me, I definitely think, uh, I will be bringing Delta rune chapter two up next time. Uh, assuming that I like it, but I, I'm fairly confident I will <laughs> like that game. Uh, and Sable also, which I'm really hoping is as good as I, uh, I assume it is. Yeah. Um, but really just excited for that to come out cause I've been following the development for so long. Yeah. Very I'm just excited for the team. Yeah. Uh, the demo is really cool. So that's on the horizon for me. Also, next episode i think is the beginning of october oh my god is this me hyping up spooky season in a seasonally appropriate time it's not january (laughs) i'm not planning halloween in january you guessed it uh it's coming up that's the beginning of our halloween season we're gonna be every episode we'll have a segment where we will bring up a horror game or some kind of like halloween-esque game i'm really excited for that i already have some plans yeah same our bonus will also be October related or Halloween related in some way. We don't know what it is quite yet, but I think there are some clear candidates. It's it's just sort of a matter of like which we like the most um, or yeah. which will make the best episode. But there are a few there. And yeah, that's that's pretty much everything on the on the immediate horizon. Do you have anything else? No, I think I'm probably going to be pretty focused on finishing the three games that we talked about today, uh, which are Deathloop, yeah, Eastward yeah. and Tales of Arise, just to say them again. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I, I imagine I'm probably going to be focused on that stuff uh, for the foreseeable future um, until Metroid comes out in early October, as far as I can tell. Uh, but, you know, we're always being surprised by stuff. You know, Eastward came kind of out of nowhere. Uh, I imagine another indie thing could show up pretty much out of nowhere and just knock us on our ass again. So uh, stay tuned for that. It happens every year. Uh, the, the funny thing about this like time of year is, as as we say all the time, I, I feel like our, our 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 show goes through these weird phases. But like as we say all the time, we're not beholden to new game releases. But also, the show exists in a form. Ever since we first started the show, it has always been like we're just bringing games to the show that we would have been playing and would have talked about anyway uh, without the show. Yeah, you know, obviously we play more stuff than we used to because of the show. But still, I think. Um, a lot of it has been like, you know, you and I have different tastes and we're playing different stuff all the time. But even though we're not beholden to video game release schedules at large, I do think as we get closer to the end of the year, every year it does become like, oh, into the Aether oh, kind yeah. of phases into that realm in a way, uh, yeah. which, which is always we fun. I, I always really appreciate yeah. We sell out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I always really appreciate that. It's fun that. to do both. I think it is fun to do both because then we have January, which is like, what the January, fuck? we could talk about yeah croc i don't know whatever <laughs> like <laughs> croc bonus episode january 2022 croc baby bonus 
Yeah, we'll get into the medieval. I don't know. Whatever. Get over it. But January yeah. is There's like- not going to be a croc bonus. I, I played croc as a joke <laughs> a couple months ago, um, and it wasn't even good enough to bring up as a joke. So uh, just just a heads up there. Croc did not age well. Sorry. Sorry, croc nostalgists. Croc heads. Yeah. I uh, I had this really dumb idea to do a bonus in November for ZA 5. It's just like road sounds. It's just like Oh, my God. I love that. By. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, us like distantly shouting like I like za yeah um but maybe with maybe the, that with the be, Doppler uh, effect just like as we drive by the microphone yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah that'd be fun but I actually am very excited for Forza Horizon Five I think it's gonna be a really good game yeah it's gonna be great that's that's a game that I think I I would never would have never played if not for the show mm. and, and was amazed I liked it yeah but that's it uh hey thank you so much. Uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for just everything. We also, again, we got a, a bunch of people reaching out recently about like how much they like the show. And that always means the world to us. It really, truly brightens our day. You know, always feel free to send feedback about the show, things you like or whatever. It does help us, especially for bonuses and for patron content. I think that's like where we're most open for feedback um, in terms of like, you know, what to cover and what to do. But um Usually the bonuses, like usually there's at least something we're so not chill about that we need to give a bonus to. So usually we find them pretty organically. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, anyway. Cool. New York Times crossword puzzle available for iOS. <laughs> hey, my name is Brendan Bigley. You can find me on the internet at Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. You can find me at crocapologist at angelfire.net. Goodbye. Bye, Croc. Thanks for everything. Thanks, Croc. Thanks for saving the gizbos. What are they called? Hold on croc furry creatures that you save uh i see what they look like they're these little i'm seeing very muscular crocodile men basically is what i'm getting from google which is cool all right bye bye Worst garbage. Ah, oh, mine.